Welcome to Lutheranism 101 Worship. I'm Adam. And I'm Matt. Thanks for joining us today. We're glad you're here. We're predominantly, the main idea here is to make a podcast for uh, people in our small group. We're going, as we work through this book, to either come back and listen to some of the ideas uh, or for people who couldn't make it to the small groups to hear the ideas. Um, and we may be saying more here than we could in the hour allotted when we're together. Yeah. So what's, what's uh, behind this study for uh, myself and Matt is that we have been excited in our journey through the scriptures, been excited by this idea of what worship is. Yeah, and what it looks like. Because I think growing up in, in Baptist, Presbyterian circles... We say evangelical. Evangelical circles. Yeah. Uh, we never got clear ideas on what that's supposed to look like right. or what's supposed to go on, on on Sunday on a worship service. And as a result, uh, what happens is the behaviors of the worship service start to inform what you believe. Mm-hmm. And so uh, the behaviors, as they became more casual or more uh, located in your heart, yeah. give the impression that you can just worship God and be good anywhere. Mm-hmm. And as a result, people start to say, why do I need to go to church? Yeah. And so functionally, for some churches, they answer that question like, well, this is the place where people you bring people to get saved, mm-hmm. and that's it. Or uh, this is the place where you find friends, or you network with for work, or whatever, and uh, that's kind of the angst for a lot of people with like, why do I need to go to church? I know it's good. And so what we found in this journey is that church is something way bigger than we imagined. Yeah, and we've found that there are people who have thoughtfully considered this question and have created amazing worship services based around what really is happening on Sunday morning? For 2,000 years, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. And so uh, the Lutheran worship is really connected and goes back to uh, the kind of worship Jesus did, which was a synagogue style. Mm-hmm. So as the Jews, just to give you some background, as the Jews were dispersed from the Holy Land, dispersed from the temple, uh, they created synagogues where if you could get 10 or more men, you would create a place where uh, you would read the Torah, you would pray, sing. And so when Christ comes, he engages the synagogue as a place to read the scriptures. He's, you know, he starts his ministry in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, saying the Spirit has descended upon me. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so he's engaging with this. So as a result, after Jesus' resurrection, the church starts in a synagogue style of meeting. And many of the, the practices have been growing since that time, but they're based on the same two movements of the original first century Christian church, which are the word of God and the sacraments. Yes. So baptism, Lord's Supper, uh, confession, absolution, and the word of God. Mm -hmm. And so it's cool. And then you've added things over the years which help to exemplify and make what we believe physical. And so I know you have, you have thoughts about that. Um, often we keep these ideas in our, in our mind, and they're very intellectual. But God always creates a place and creates real things to not only remind us, mm-hmm. but to encourage our beliefs, like physical things. Yeah, so 
our learning, the way we just culturally learn things, has been influenced primarily by a French philosopher named Descartes. Oh, Descartes. Yeah, René Descartes. And he came up... I think, therefore I am. Yes, he came up with the phrase, I think, therefore I am. And that has influenced and informed how we learn. And just in our normal school education and just day-to-day life. So therefore, everything is based on if you have the right information, if you know the right things, you'll do the right things. (laughs) Right. However, that has proven to be a faulty philosophy where uh, just because you know the right thing doesn't necessarily mean you're going to do the right thing. And what we have found is that oftentimes behavior doesn't change until we just ritually change it till we adopt behaviors and we do them over and over and over again then there is a nice pairing between what we believe and what we and how we act so behavior oftentimes in childhood development precedes what we believe Mm -hmm. or actually know so for example your precious one-year-old mabel yes yes so uh anytime someone says let's pray she will immediately fold her hands underneath her chin. She has no concept of what that actually means, right. but the behavior's there. And then she'll say amen with everyone at the end of it. And so she is learning what prayer is experientially before she actually understands what's happening uh, intellectually. And those, those behaviors, though, will prepare the way for her understanding in the future. So that's cool for our topic because we are starting to go back and incorporate some uh, what's referred to as liturgical practices Mm -hmm. or traditional practices because the things that they do are rooted in catechism, catechetical, which just Latin means the echoing. So Mabel is echoing a behavior without knowing what it means. Mm -hmm. And so as people come into church, there's a different culture. There's a different language. There's a whole different world. And so as people engage absolution and confession, whether they know what it is or not, they're learning mm-hmm. certain behaviors. They're saying the creed, whether they fully understand it or not. They're hearing the prayers. They're hearing the word of God. And that behavior will then have its effect later down the mm-hmm. line in a couple ways. One, they'll come to understand it and believe it. It will be in their minds and in their hearts. But then they also will carry it out into the world. Correct. Now it just becomes an instinctive reflex when you're out in the world. You have these behaviors that have been ingrained into you during uh, Sunday worship that now will come out reflexively when you are out in the chaos of the world. And and so then when someone says, what do you believe? Um, You know, the answer that immediately comes to your mind after going to, I don't know, 500 worship services in a couple of years and six years or something, or 10 years, that's what it is, yeah, 52, uh, is I believe in God the Father Almighty. Yeah. Maker of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ. And you you have an answer. It's in you. Mm-hmm. And it's activated because you've been in a place that's been reinforcing what you believe through behaviors. Yeah. And that's cool. I also know that to be true. Uh, even I play all these instruments. The number one way to learn an instrument is to uh, weekly, if not twice a week or three times a week, I would sit down as a kid. You put on a baseball game or something on TV, 
that you don't need to listen to and you have the guitar in your hand and you go through the things and you just do it and you create mm -hmm. muscle memory. You create, so now I'm playing and I'm not even thinking about it. Mm -hmm. uh, so we think that's really helpful and so has the church for 2,000 years. Yeah, because we, because of, I would say, even before Descartes, but uh, there has, since the Reformation, there's been this movement to get rid of the, uh, the smells, the sights, and the sounds from the church service because it was labeled as idolatrous. Right. Uh, kind of falling under the second or really first commandment of not making any graven images. Right. And what all they ended up doing was undercutting uh, an extra sensory form of learning because in every other form of life, we, we do recognize, oh, having a visual is very helpful to learning. Right. Having a, an audible sound is very helpful to learning. Having a smell, smells bring back memories. Yeah. Uh, I so, mean, it's all the YouTubers. Yes. They know visuals matter, right? They know visuals matter. They know um, certain key sounds or repetitive phrases matter because it's all it's doing is it's engaging the whole person. And so what God has done is he's created a way to engage all of our senses by... Uh, making a visible image of himself in Jesus Christ. Well, the other thing too is even in the tabernacle and in the temple, mm, mm -hmm. if when you read the Old Testament, I mean, he filled artists with his spirit and the whole place is decorated in Garden of Eden yeah, and cherubim and, and seraphim. And, and what, it's, okay, so then what's that doing? So if the whole place is decorated like a garden, right. what's that supposed to be reminding us? Okay. What's that telling you? Garden of Eden with God, what we were created to be and how we've lost it, and this God has it. So it's re-educating mm -hmm. you like, oh, this is the God who created us, who created the world. We gather to him, and mm -hmm. we rebelled against his word, but now he comes to us through his word. So even in the Old Testament, as... Uh, as you look at worship, mm -hmm. God is doing several things and it continues through Jesus Christ. And that's what this first introduction is about. So it's important to recognize God is always saying, I want to meet with my people in a place. Mm. So there's a box, there's a holy of holies, there's the tent of meeting. I'm always gathering you to a place that God is always saying, I'm going to come to you at this time in this space, on this part of the earth right here. And then he shows his glory, right? Yeah, so I want to highlight that for a second because what God is graciously doing is he's locating himself in time and place, mm -hmm. in history, space, for you. Why? Be Be yeah. Because we have this insatiable desire to go find God, right. but we can't. We cannot locate him. We cannot find him. Even though he's everywhere, he's not everywhere for you, we cannot find him. So what he does is he locates himself and says, I'm here for you right now. Come to me. And now you have a place and a time to actually go and meet with your creator. Right. Because he made it available. And see, this starts to flip what we believe in our minds. We think that, uh, and this is what ancient man has always done, they do certain 
incantations. They build things and they beg the God to come show up to them. Mm-hmm. Our God flips it and says, I'm calling you to meet with me. Here's where I'm going to be. Yes. And what he does when you go to where he is, and it is a place. That's the whole point of Jesus Christ. I mean, he was a human. Yeah. You go to him. uh, But when you go to him, and he gives gifts. And the gifts that he gives are uh, forgiveness of sins, salvation, and life. And so as we look at worship, the one of the, the big flips we have to do is the word worship, what is worth, you know, you're bringing service to God, we think. Mm-hmm. But notice I said to God. It's service, it's giving of gifts. The big flip that everyone needs to uh, think about and has been very helpful for uh, you and me mm-hmm. is that the worship service, first of all, that's the same word. Worship is service. Mm-hmm. But we start from what is God doing? And at worship, God is the one bringing gifts to us. Mm -hmm. This changes everything. God is said there's a time and place where I bring my gifts, and my gifts are forgiveness of sins, salvation, and life, and I give them to you through my word and my sacraments, things that I've set up that are real for you then what do we do in worship? We come to the place at the time we receive these gifts. Mm -hmm. And so then we offer back praise and adoration. We offer back the words of God. So then our worship to God is really, it doesn't begin with us. It's a response to what God has done. So when we say worship, what we're always referring to throughout this class, and we'll say it over and over again, is that worship is the place and the time where God gives us, he serves us these gifts, forgiveness of sins, salvation, and life through the means of a preaching of the word, which means God raises up priests. He raises up people who speak on his behalf with his authority, who set aside the sacraments under the authority. He gives the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to you. You come in to receive these gifts, and then you respond by enjoying those gifts, by putting your trust and, and faith, you're resting that this is true. Even though the world around me is crumbling and I feel like a sinner, God has showed up here. Right, and he's, he's forgiving me. He's giving me salvation and life. Uh, so when we gather together, and the way God has done mm-hmm. it too, if you remember in, even in Exodus, he calls Israel. Yeah. He doesn't say, oh, Israel, I can show up to you in the sky. You can stay in Egypt and I'll just each give you peace in your hearts. He says, tell Pharaoh, you need to come out and worship me. Right. Which means come out and receive from me the law, the presence, the tabernacle, the place and time. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like come out and receive these things. I cannot show up in Egypt and do this for you. Right, and that's, I I mean, that's the original name of the church, is the called out ones. Mm -hmm. Called out by who? God. God calls us out to himself and says, come to me, I will give you what you need. And so if you track this throughout scripture, you have in the Exodus account, you have him calling them out of Egypt to Sinai, uh, to then the tent of meeting, to the tabernacle, to the temple, and then it 
culminates into to the it, promised land to the promised land and then it culminates into Jesus who is the living word of God in the flesh dwelling among us so wherever Jesus is in the New Testament that's where the church is right so he is he is the uh, word of God roaming around Judea and wherever whoever's around him is the church which is What's confused, right? So, what makes a place holy? We have beautiful places that help us worship. We mm-hmm. have very humble places, like our place in a warehouse. Right. But what makes them all holy is the presence of Jesus Christ. Yes. And his presence. And he promises his presence where two or three are gathered around his word. His, so, his name. In his the, name. Yes. Yes, uh, the name. Because he mm-hmm. is the word made flesh who dwells mm-hmm. among us. So, when we gather around his name and we preach the gospel, and we administer the Lord's Supper or baptism, forgiveness of sins, we are speaking the words of God. You are receiving it in this place So, uh, and in this time. We all grew up learning the church isn't a building. Mm-hmm. Uh, the church is the people, which is partly true, Yes, but kind of confusing. Mm-hmm. Because I think we do start to believe that because Jesus went around and did it wherever, we kind of do go around and do it wherever. Yeah, and I think um, that... But he's the word what, made what, flesh. What becomes confusing about that is because we've become an individualistic society. So when we say the word, or the church is the people, you begin to go, oh, I'm the church as an individual. Right. And that's never what uh, any of the scriptures are talking about or thinking through. It's, no, it's wherever... A community of people are gathered around God's word. Yeah. So faith in Christ is never in isolation. Mm-hmm. It by its very nature, it is with somebody. Somebody. Somebody, somebody is pronouncing the word of God mm-hmm. to you. You're confessing it together. So you know, in Peter, we're a spiritual temple mm-hmm. because the we are made holy by His name in baptism. Now you are in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Um, and we make a spiritual temple when we gather together. Mm-hmm. But if you and I aren't gathering together, we're just a pile of bricks. Stone. We're yeah. just a pile of stones apart. Mm-hmm. And so uh, uh, the gathering together, you, you, you need a place to do that. So yes. the church is a place where God meets you. And I think like anything, if we were to talk about this physically, if I was to say, oh, the city of Orlando wants to give you a gift wants to give your kids backpacks and school supplies, they would say, show up at the Amway Center Mm -hmm. at this time to receive your school gift. And you wouldn't say, well, the gifts should be available wherever I am. Mm -hmm. You can say that, but you're not going to get the thing unless you go um, and get it. And so God works within these means and these methods. Like This is what he does. This is the whole point of Jesus being made in the flesh. He came in time and space. There was a Friday afternoon that he was crucified Mm -hmm. and he rose again. Like this is a real physical thing. So I think that's the flip is we look at worship from what God is doing. Mm -hmm. And so he's giving us these things. The question in the book, and we'll finish with this, right, is can you worship God anywhere? And... The answer is very tricky. So as we, we talk this, uh, 
initially everybody said, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I would be tempted too, but again, we have to read it. We have to define and redefine worship. What, what is worship? Right. And so what we discovered is while we have times where we're praising God, mm-hmm. we're like overwhelmed or we're listening to music and yeah. we're praising him, we're reading the Bible, we're hearing him. These are times of prayer and praise. And so, uh, but the actual worship happens when you gather together, there's appointed person giving mm-hmm. you the gospel in the Lord's Supper. Now, then you're receiving the meal. That is where worship happens because it's where God is giving his gifts. You respond, but I was thinking, I'm thinking it through in just normal man terms. It's a lot like food. Okay. So I need to go to my kitchen or go somewhere to eat. I get that meal I enjoy that food with the energy it provides until yeah. my next meal. Right. And so the response we have where we're praising God, where we're praying for family members throughout the week, God is with you. God is uh, encouraging you. You're forgive- the forgiveness of sins is still working within your body mm-hmm. and your mind, just like food. But you need to eat again. Yeah. And you'll and that's where our minds are it's benefit to start seeing, oh, when we gather together is the feeding on the gospel. Mm-hmm. It's salvation and life Christ is giving to us again. Yeah. Because it's an ongoing reality leading us to one day the new creation. We're still we're still being called somewhere else, you know? And I mean, and that's literally worked out in the service because we literally eat a meal. Right. God literally sets a table and says, here's my body. Here's my blood. I want to eat with you. I want to have table fellowship with you. This is what the God of the universe is saying to you and says, come, I've prepared a meal. Are you going to eat with me? Yeah. And in our hubris, oftentimes we go, well, I'm really tired and I think I just need to stay home and rest. (laughs) Right. Like, that's going to help me. Well, and if your mom or dad or grandma or something had a Sunday afternoon meal and you go, no, thanks. Again, it's the relationship you're, you're missing out. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't say, oh, I'm just going to rest. And, but everything should be cool. You know, like, okay, I'll have to go next week. Right. Um, well, I was thinking too, like in the service. So we call it the divine service mm-hmm. because it's what God is serving us. Yes. And so we've started to, in ours, begin with uh, the meal. It's a meal. So the first thing you do is our conversation to God is forgive us our sins. We remember our baptism. Mm-hmm. You got to wash up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wash up. So before we approach God, we're getting cleansed. Before we come to by be God. with him, we're being cleansed by him, remembering our baptism, remembering our name. We're part of the family, then being baptized, then saying his words back to him with the psalm, with words that he's given us. Then we come in under uh, his word. So we hear the preaching of the word of God. Where he reminds us of who we are, what we're supposed to do. Who he is. And how this all is going to be held together by him. It's a great gift of restoration of all sorts of things. He's, he's working forgiveness and salvation and life in the preaching. And then it culminates just like you would in a real meal. You wash up, you're talking. Mm-hmm. It's like Thanksgiving, right? Yeah. And then the meal is the climax of the interaction. Like, ah, oh, the food is ready. Yes. And it's been prepared. 
at great cost. And the food is our Savior. He's the Passover lamb, the, the lamb who takes away the sin of the world. And our eating him and eating with him unites us to one another, unites us to him. We have table fellowship with God. We've been made clean by God. We've heard his word and we've received that. Now we go out secure in our identity, secure by the work of Christ with the purpose of loving God and loving others. But we're fed and ready to engage in that. Yeah. So this is the basis of uh, the rest of the study. Uh, This was just the introduction. Uh, You can read it. We highly encourage everyone to get the book. It's called Lutheranism 101, Worship. Worship. So it's a series of books. This one's explicitly on worship. And uh, we hope you enjoy it. Next week, we'll be talking about chapter one, Mm -hmm. and uh, we look forward to doing that again. Yeah. Fun. Awesome. Thanks for listening. Bye.